everyone, welcome to the Space Indie Podcast, where we talk about important issues in the peripheries of clinical medicine in Singapore. I'm your host, Anhui. Welcome back to part two of our conversation with Associate Professor Graham Matthews, Head of English, Assistant Chair of the School of Humanities and Coordinator of the Mega Humanities Research Cluster at NTU Singapore. Previously, we discussed how the Mega Humanities can be used in medical education, discussing major themes and major players in the field. In this episode, we specifically talk about works by NTU Medical Humanities that have been used for doctors, patients, and the wider community. We end off this conversation by acknowledgement of the diversity of experiences, disease which are unique to cultures and geographies, and the need to reach out to our neighbouring countries in Southeast Asia. Hi Graham, thank you so much for joining us today once again. In our previous episode, we talked about how the medical humanities can be used for medical education and for medical students. So then, what do literature students in the medical humanities do? I teach a module called Literature and Medicine to final year English majors. Students on this module explore literary representations of health and sickness. Our understanding of illness is not simply determined by physical symptoms, but influenced by class, gender and ethnicity, and perceived differently by patients, practitioners and policymakers. Throughout the module, we look at a range of texts, such as The Hypochondriac by Graham Swift, A Stone Woman by A.S. Byatt, Saturday by Ian McGowan, as well as pathographies, or illness narratives, by Sarah Manguso, Suzanne Antonetta, and William Styron, and even graphic novels like The Bad Doctor by Ian Williams, Cancer Vixen by Marissa Akala, Marchetto, and Julia Wurtz's The Infinite Space. We cover a range of themes such as doctor-patient relations, the social construction of health, death and dying, grief, and the essay Illness as a Metaphor by Susan Sontag. We all know that it's important for students to develop skills in creativity, communication and critical thinking, but it's also very important that they articulate them and are able to offer clear-sighted examples of the ways in which their knowledge and experience can contribute to issues of urgent concern. It helps bring them in line with our own goals uh, of, of trying to make research that's available and accessible to the general public. It's absolutely a challenging task, but it is one that does help to temper extreme claims and unclear argumentation as theoretical models are forced to confront practical concerns. Okay, so that sounds like a really interesting class and I would have loved to have the opportunity to take it. But I was wondering something, um, since I can't, could you tell us a bit more about um, what are some of the most memorable projects to you? Perhaps the most striking one is, uh, is entitled Heart, and it really engages with diagnostic medicine as a hermeneutical practice that draws on scientific knowledge. So we know that the patient's chart is where clinical notes and laboratory results are recorded, but the patient is strictly prohibited from writing in it. Through technology, the body is translated into images, graphs, and numbers that are increasingly abstract and uh, inaccessible to the patient and their families. Uh, Meanwhile, the patient's narrative, often told through words, gestures, and silences, risks becoming lost. Now, in heart, anatomical models are overlaid with semi-transparent images that are representative of X-ray, CT, and MRI scans, while explanatory text highlights the gap between diagnostic data and the patient's subjective experience. Each scene is suggestive of the ways in which medical technology makes the body speak in different ways, but it also risks reducing the patient to the level of an object. The original submission was about the size of a shoebox, but was later developed into a large, eye-catching display. There's another project which engages with Susan Sontag's 1978 essay, Illness as a Metaphor, 
in which she argues against the use of metaphor when describing conditions of sickness because it very often leads to stigma and judgment. One example of this is where we very commonly use uh, battle metaphors for talking about a condition such as cancer. We talk about the patient fighting cancer or battling cancer. The problem is that patients actually have very limited agency in the face of a disease like this. And while battle metaphors might help give hope or uh, boost fortitude, it can also be quite disempowering because of the question, well, what happens if you lose? Does it mean that if someone succumbs to cancer, that they were somehow weak, that they somehow did not fight enough or battle hard enough? And this is where the kind of war metaphor, the battle metaphor, can actually be quite disempowering and very problematic. So Sontag really does help bring to the fore the ways in which the history of medicine is filled with examples of sufferers who are viewed as responsible for their illness, an incurable disease that's often seen as a sign of divine punishment or some kind of moral failing. However, many writers have also disagreed with Sontag and argue that metaphors are a helpful tool for patients to make sense of their experience of sickness. So the student project displayed four images that represent common metaphors associated with illness. And they were then positioned in the form of a cube in order to show the ways in which illness is actually very complex and multifaceted. Uh, Having the multiple metaphors juxtaposed with one another encourages us to be more attentive to the language that we use to talk about health and sickness. Okay, Graham, since you shared with us a bit about the projects that the undergraduate students have done, I know that the NTU Mega Humanities also has graduate students and a PhD program. So I was wondering, maybe... um, What are some of your PhD students in the past or currently working on right now? I found that pathographies really resonate with the research interests of our students, and I'm very fortunate to have a team of postgraduate students who are developing research projects of their own. For example, Melissa Ho is working to identify and analyse some common tropes and trends in Singaporean autism narratives. She is exploring how these stereotypes and discourses emerge in the context of Singapore, and argues for the need to take narrative ethics into consideration in telling stories about autism. Examining Singaporean autism narratives allows us insight into the ways in which dominant global discourses about autism are negotiated in local contexts. These are narratives that are shaped by their socio-cultural context, and examining the ones that have emerged in Singapore gives us a better understanding of the ways in which multiple discourses come to bear upon individual narratives. Meanwhile, Ivy Chua is investigating paediatric illness narratives about death and dying, with a particular focus on the themes of dignity, voice, and personhood. Her research sheds light on how the debilitating effects of terminal illness and a medical setting alters a patient's sense of self-worth. She is also investigating the ways in which the voices of paediatric patients are sometimes overlooked. Because of their young age, juvenile patients are often limited in their capacity to act, and medical decisions, including the cessation of treatment, are often made by a parent or guardian. Ivy's research has also revealed that a terminal paediatric patient's resilience is highly correlated to their individuality. And consequently, she argues that the reinforcement of agency permits resilience, enabling terminal children to live their remaining days with dignity, as persons rather than patients. April Thant-Ong is researching Singaporean dramas that depict health conditions. She calls these illness plays. 
and she's currently evaluating the manner in which drama nuances the subjective experience of illness in patients and caregivers and bridges the phenomenological differences between the audience and patients. She's also investigated the ways in which racial and religious differences appear in the healthcare settings depicted in these plays, including Harish Sharma's Good People. And for her dissertation, April is currently investigating the ways in which performance theatre and illness plays speak to some of the concerns of gender theorists and theories of performativity. Finally, Kat Chong investigates stories of sickness in female-authored Singaporean and Southeast Asian illness narratives. She is investigating how intersections between gender and medicine have impacted the experience and written expression of illness. At the moment, she is organising a terrific workshop on perceptions and portrayals of menopause in culture and society, and she's bringing together both doctors and humanities scholars in what promises to be a very exciting and insightful event. As you can tell, these are really dynamic, varied and exciting research projects that are united by our shared interest in narrative and medicine. And I'm very fortunate to have the opportunity to work with such energetic and thoughtful individuals. So I think a lot of that sounds very technical and academic. I was wondering then, is I think you alluded to this a bit earlier in the conversation about the need for research to be reflecting a urgent need in society and to connect with the wider community. So um, what are the what are the, your other concerns in public engagement then? And because academic research is rarely placed in dialogue with the public in this kind of way, the development of projects like these can potentially unlock fruitful new avenues that investigate the ways in which the public understand or respond to complex and critically orientated interventions. Okay, so maybe aside from medical education, how else has the mega humanities interacted with or collaborated with hospitals, uh, even maybe... Um, I think we talked about this a bit earlier before the recording about arts organisations such as the Singapore Writers' Festival. At present, there is clearly a lot of interest and engagement in the medical humanities taking place across Singapore. We've met with uh, doctors and medical students at the Singapore General Hospital, the National University Healthcare Systems, uh, Kutek Wat Hospital, uh, Tantok Seng Hospital, and of course LKC Medical School at the Novena Campus. The National Cancer Centre has developed a new medical humanities certificate program that aims to grow expertise and build capacity for medicine ACP faculty, including doctors, nurses and allied health professionals. NUHS have established a health and humanities pathway with a medical humanities stream for undergraduate students. Singapore General Hospital has a medicine plus humanities unit. And staff at Tantok Seng, including many of our graduates, have developed a community of practice that is dedicated to medical humanities. We already have various collaborations taking place between NTU and various hospitals. So, for example, Lim Nieng and KK Luke are currently studying doctor-patient interactions at Tantok Seng. Meanwhile, Michelle Chang is working on a qualitative study of the lived experience of supporting stroke patients in Singapore's rehabilitation unit. But we also collaborate with arts organisations, including the National Library Board, the National Heritage Board, Singapore Writers' Festival, and local literary charity Singlet Station. We also have links with hospices, patient advocacy groups, local publishers and booksellers. So we have quite an extensive ecosystem in Singapore, and there's a great deal of activity. My concern is that these groups currently risk being siloed within their respective institutions. 
And I think there's a very real need for a medical humanities conference or some kind of organization in Singapore that will help bring together these disparate threads. It is an emergent field in Singapore, so it would help if we could uh, share knowledge about both our successes and our mistakes as it develops. Yeah, something I was wondering about is, since the mega humanities is a relatively new field in Singapore, are there plans to expand and reach out to our neighbouring countries in the region? Because I, I, I'm guessing that like, even from within our experience in Singapore, that the experience of illness is uh, it's cultural, it's also very individual, it's dependent on the background that we might come from. So I would expect that someone from the Philippines or Thailand might have a very different experience of illness than in Singapore. Hopefully that helps make the case for interdisciplinary and cross-sector research. The third aspect that I wanted to talk about uh, was the term transnational. Now Singapore may be an island, but it is not divorced from the discourses, migrations and cultures from the wider region. And as the field of medical humanities develops and grows in Singapore, we need to be mindful of the need to include diverse voices from a range of different backgrounds and cultural contexts. So I think it's important that we extend an invitation to scholars across Southeast Asia who address issues related to health, medicine and well-being, but may not have considered the ways in which their research could potentially shape the future direction of the field. It is vital that engagement is handled in an inclusive and egalitarian manner and that everyone is receptive to new concepts and ideas. But I really think these are the conditions that are required for us to develop research uh, and spaces for rare and genuine innovation. It would give us the opportunity to investigate currently undervalued and underexplored stories of sickness. And I think it's really important that we build a platform that reflects the complexity and diversity of voices across the third most populous region in the world. We know that Southeast Asia is immensely culturally and ethnically diverse and is home to hundreds of languages and various religions that influence perceptions of health and healing in intricate and interconnected ways. We also know that the region is influenced by discourses on health from China and India, biomedicine, the wellness industry, and alternative and indigenous therapies that often complement and equally contradict one another. So there really is an urgent need to develop dialogue that does not speak for or about local communities but very much speaks with them. And just some of the areas that uh, my students and colleagues have suggested would be ripe for further development and investigation in this respect would be areas such as educating for rare diseases, autism and neurotypical narratives, gender bias in healthcare, heritage medicine, and mental health stigma. And this kind of regional approach would give us opportunities for comparative study It would help us develop a cluster of critical methodologies that would then challenge notions of active cause and passive peripheries, and also help us to generate a new discursive framework for understanding the strands that connect collective, local and personal cultures of health and responses to sickness. Just to unpack that a little, I think it would be really exciting to connect researchers, creative writers, artists, librarians, herbalists, priests, temples and medical practitioners throughout the region would help us to develop a comparative element for any existing research projects and generate entirely new projects that are designed with a focus on comparison in mind. 
And other particular areas that we could look at there would include the various confinement traditions throughout the, uh, throughout the region, uh, language documentation, and cultural conceptions of dementia, which, of course, is markedly different to the natural process of ageing. However, we realise that there has been actually very limited critical engagement with illness narratives in Singapore and Southeast Asia. And I worked closely with students to build a database of illness narratives that have been written and published uh, in Singapore. So over the years, we've been able to collect together over 200 memoirs, poems, novels, graphic novels that present insight into a whole range of pathologies, including cancer, AIDS, mental health, uh, stroke, and rare diseases. So we know that health, sickness, and conceptions of care, suffering, and risk signify in markedly different ways within different cultures and societies. And consequently, it's really important that we uncover existing stories of sickness and foster fresh engagements with local and regional conceptions of medicine and healing. And we've been collecting texts and contacting academics from neighbouring countries like Malaysia, Thailand and the Philippines. As we read and discuss these narratives, we're finding that they can tell us a lot more about the subjective experience of health and sickness, which includes the social realm of plans abandoned and abilities impaired as well as the myths and the metaphors that are often attached to various health issues. They've also shown the ways in which uh, the daily life of a caregiver challenges their ideals, stretches emotional limits, and often heightens interdependency. As well as this, these narratives give fresh insight into the ways in which scientific medicine and alternative medicines are perceived by patients and their families. I think that the act of telling stories of sickness can really help raise awareness of the social, psychological, and familial impact of illness. And it also helps to restore the voice of the patient, which can often be lost amidst all the emphasis on science and data. Okay, thank you so much for your time, Graham. You've given us a lot to chew on, and a lot of fresh perspective that I've never personally considered before. What are some, perhaps, some closing statements that you might have that you think are really important for our listeners to consider? I think we often find that there is some kind of hierarchy between what is viewed as core and what is viewed as periphery. And it's really important to be attentive to how areas viewed as periphery can influence the core and aim to challenge the notion of an inherently passive periphery as well as open up relations between peripheries themselves. What may be considered core in one context may well be perceived as periphery in another. So my colleagues and I think it would be fascinating to organise projects that identify, analyse, and perhaps deconstruct some of those hierarchies themselves. There's also an exciting opportunity here to develop the strands that entwine national and transnational forces with the local. Patients are not simply globalised or localised, but actually possess an abiding imaginative investment in a range of concepts, traditions, and cultures of health. And I think there's a lot more work that we could do to engage with the kind of unspoken cultural investments that people hold, with, not just with nations or with the world, but with regions. Ultimately, I really hope to see medical humanities become an increasingly diverse, innovative and welcoming community that encourages a new generation of researchers to take intellectual risks and identify and engage with the key challenges that are facing healthcare and culture in the region. I really think that a podcast like Third Spacing can really help to facilitate the kinds of interdisciplinary, cross-sector and transnational conversations uh, that are desperately needed. 
Uh, and finally, I really want to thank you very much for hosting me on Third Spacing uh, and wish you the very best of luck with your ongoing work.